Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. All right, I want to welcome you listeners to God Beyond the Bible, by Seekers and For Seekers, the podcast by Seekers and For Seekers. I want to say, before we get started today uh, on our topic, uh, I want to shout out to Mark and Leanne in Texas, some listeners we have there, and uh, just really glad to have you, and hope you really enjoy it, and glad getting your comments. Tracing, was there some that... Um, David and Tawana in Arkansas. All right, and they're not a couple. No. Those are two different people. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Shout out to them. I think I know who they are. Love them. Glad to hear from them. Uh, what are some ways that people can find us? You know, we don't talk about that much. We just jump into this thing, and, and I found out an easy way. Let me just tell you, and I'm not tech savvy. Tracy, she's our technician, and I'm not tech savvy. But you can go to our webpage, and that's godbeyondthebible.com. All one word, all lowercase, GodBeyondTheBible.com. It'll take you there. Do the search engine. It'll take you there. And uh, you can make that one of your favorites. You yes, can make you that web page like a favorite on your iPad or your computer. And then you can just click on that. And then it's ep- and there's an episode bar there that says episodes. And then as they're released, that'll always go there. So that's because I still haven't figured out how to get notified when the episodes are released. So Sure. And you can if you're a little bit more familiar with podcasts and you listen to some and subscribe to some already on your android or iphone a lot of times you'll have a an app that says podcasts okay you can type in god beyond the bible on either one of those or if you use spotify you can type in god beyond the bible there and we'll pop up you can press the subscribe button we're also we have a facebook page it's facebook.com slash god beyond the bible and I post the new episode there every week when it releases on Friday. All right. So there you have it. And some of that's way over me. But I can find it. And I do know you can go to the search bar and Google and everything. God beyond the Bible. And usually we come up. So that's really great. Uh, today's topic. We're going to jump into the conflict of doctrine of the early New Testament church that still goes on today. And that doctrine is grace versus works or grace Faith, salvation, justification by grace and faith just uh, versus salvation by faith and works. Uh, and uh, Trace and that will take us into segment one. And here in segment one, we're going to talk about Paul's grace gospel coupled with security of the believer was in conflict with Peter, James, and Jude who mentioned grace, 
but also promote works and the possibility of being unsaved again after being saved. And, and, let's, and James, not so much about the being lost again, because he, he borders on that, but doesn't say, but now, now, Peter and Jude pretty well just flat out say, now, if God didn't spare the angels who left their first estate and the people that came out of the wilderness, he, he killed a bunch of them, then what makes you think he's not going to do you in after he saved you? And that, you know, I'm just saying that's what they say. And that's, if you read it, you can't read that really without getting that indication from them. So we're going to start out with who are these guys anyway that have this conflict. And basically today we're really going to be talking about uh, not so much about Jude, but really Tommy's going to kind of circle around James' writings and Paul's writings, but we need to get to introduce these guys. So who are these guys anyway? Well, they're all converted Jews. They're believers on Jesus as the Messiah. One thing about it, they're all in heaven, right? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's really <laughs> important to acknowledge. We're not debating whether that was their salvation or not. No, they no. were saved. And just like today, there are people who believe grace and people who believe in works doesn't mean they're not going to heaven it's just jesus paid it all absolutely jesus paid it all and so and so we're gonna talk about that a little later we're jumping ahead but why make it harder than it has to be that's my motto in life why do why do we want to make it harder um so they're both they're all converted jews uh james and jude uh the half brothers of jesus and uh along with peter and he's the apostle best known for his denial of jesus after jesus arrest and they've all remained in jerusalem and they are key to the early church there in Jerusalem, made up almost entirely of converted Jews. And as far as I know, there was one church there. Yes. And I have to jump in here because if you guys haven't noticed already, I love questions like, who are these guys anyway? And <laughs> yeah. I start digging into stuff because I want to know who they were and why they wrote the things they wrote. What was their background? And one of the things I found was that the book of Jude was probably written after James had been martyred. Uh -huh. So it was most likely Jude was adding to what his half-brother had already written. He was sort of an extension but, of James. But this is really not the James martyred in the early part of the New Testament, was it? This is not the James. No. no, this is a different James. Okay, but he was martyred. They yes. were martyred. Okay, got you. So, and his name really was Judas, right? Yes, and I found out that we started referring to him as Jude to separate him from Judas Iscariot because... Well, nobody wanted to carry that name. Well, I started to say, I loved the quote that went around with it because it left a sour taste in people's mouths yeah. to call him Judas. Okay, now to Paul. Paul was, or we've talked about Peter, James, and Jude, mm -hmm. and Paul was first known as Saul, who was a very devout Jew of the highest order. In fact, you can go to Philippians, his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, and he talks about his achievements and his credentials as a Jew and a Pharisee, and then he concludes it with the idea, it's all just, it was all worthless. It didn't, it didn't mean anything, and for that and Saul, who would, after conversion, be called Paul before believing on Christ by the authority of the Jewish leaders, enjoyed a successful and prominent career doing what? Hunting down Jewish converts. Now, he was hunting down converts to Christ, and he was arresting them and obviously providing testimony for the execution of those believers, as was in the case of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. Saul, according to Luke's written account in Acts 9, became a believer on Jesus Christ by a supernatural encounter with the risen Lord while on his way to Damascus to arrest more Jewish converts. And, of course, then Paul's name or Saul's name was eventually changed to Paul in the New Testament, and he received his instruction on the gospel directly from a resurrected Lord. In fact, he often wrote, I did not receive this by man. I received this directly of the Lord. 
So we're getting to get know this guy, Saul, that's converted supernaturally. And, of course, you know there's going to always be some questions. Oh, no, wait a minute. He just come in here claimed that he's met Jesus on the road. And, and now is this guy's conversion real? I mean, you know, who is this guy? Now he's calling himself an apostle. And I can understand where the controversy would be great there. Now, after some great suspicion and distrust of Paul's true conversion to Christ, with the help of Barnabas, by intervening on his behalf with the church at Jerusalem, Paul was accepted, and he spent a short time with the church at Jerusalem. But later, he departed and received further supernatural instruction from a risen Lord, and I understand that was like in Arabia or something, but I can't remember. And afterward, he traveled in the Gentile-populated areas. Now, when we use the word Gentile and Jews, we're talking about, or we use the word non-Jewish. The Jews were the Jews. They were Abraham's seed, and everybody else was Gentile. So we're talking about all the rest of the world when we say Gentile. Let's just understand, or non-Jews. Uh, informing the non-Jewish population that Christ had died for them also and that they were candidates for salvation if they would believe. Now, this was new, right? Yes. This was a new thing. Even though Jesus healed a lot of Gentile people. And Jesus said, of the only two times Jesus said, never have I seen such great faith, was to Gentiles. Was not to Jews. The only two times he said it were to Gentile people. Now, it almost seems that Peter was the one who originally had been instructed towards taking the gospel to the non-Jewish community. And we say this by his vision in Acts chapter 10, where he saw a collection of animals considered unclean by Jewish law and standard, and was then instructed to kill and eat where he then refused and argued that he would never eat anything unclean and was rebuked with the words, Do not call something unclean that God has declared clean. This happened three times there in Acts chapter 10. And finally, finally, Peter agreed to go down to visit the non-Jewish Roman official Cornelius and declare that God had revealed to him that he was not a respecter of persons and the gospel of salvation was for non-Jews also. And I love this story. I can relate to Peter on a lot of levels because he was someone who had trouble stepping out of his comfort zone, and that's something that I struggle with too. Well, we all do, and we all have our past, and we have. And, and Paul stepped out of that, but you know, there again, it was a really a supernatural experience, and it took that for Paul. Okay, but this is the only account that we have of Peter sharing the gospel with Gentiles or non-Jewish people. The rest of the time, Peter seems to have spent in or near Jerusalem with James and Jude. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians that he had to confront Peter face-to-face -face about his shunning the Gentile believers. You can find that in Galatians chapter 2. It seems that at first, Peter would fellowship with them, and then James showed up. And when James showed up, he withdrew from the non-Jewish believers. They weren't circumcised, and he withdrew <laughs> from them and wouldn't eat with them anymore. Well, you don't want your friends to see you well, hanging out with that kind of people. And that's going to lead us into James, and that's going to close out this segment and lead us into the next segment. Welcome back to segment two of God Beyond the Bible, a podcast by seekers and for seekers. In the first segment, we kind of went over a brief history of the early Jerusalem church and Paul's supernatural conversion and calling to the non-Jewish com community that may have really been intended for Peter, but for whatever reason, Peter declined. And that brings us into segment two. And we're going to talk about that there were clearly two distinctive approaches to the gospel and salvation in the early New Testament church. The first, of course, is that the good news or gospel 
all that Jesus accomplished in his birth, life, and death, and resurrection was an extension of the first covenant of law that existed between God and the Jews. And this is kind of the Jerusalem church's take. This was James, for sure, James's view, and maybe Peter and Jude's view about this, that this was just an extension. Our, our covenant's just an extension of the old covenant. The old covenant still exists. God just piled some more on top of it. Okay. And the second is that the gospel is a totally new covenant which fulfills and eliminates the first covenant of law completely, doing away with all of the Jewish requirements and customs. And this is a good time for me to just say here, the big book of Hebrews clearly says that. Yeah, word for word. I word, mean, it, it says. And, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I think Paul wrote that. Mm -hmm. And I think Paul withheld his name from the book of Hebrews because he knew if his name was on it, there was this conflict. Paul was suspicioned that he was just out there. All of this supernatural visions and all this stuff he was getting, he was suspicious of his claiming to be, you know, in this gospel of grace that he was bringing. And, and there was great. So Paul had the real argument, and he knew how to present the argument. He did that in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to say he did it. That's what I'm going to believe. That he And he clearly laid it out word for word. But he knew he didn't want to taint it by putting his name on it. It would have tainted in the minds of the sure. Jews. Yeah, there's some people who, well, if Paul wrote this, then we know it's not. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I think I mentioned that in the lesson this morning in our church about Calvinism, John Calvin. Don't disregard everything because you may disagree with something John Calvin believed or seemed to believe, such as the elect or what am I trying to think of? Predestination. Predestination. Right. You can't discount everything John Calvin had to say. He, he was a great, he had a lot of influence early years. We've talked about Anyway, all right. This division still remains today. It all depends on whether a person believes that Paul was truly converted and received the gospel of grace directly from a risen Lord, as Luke recorded in Acts 9, and then Paul himself recounts multiple times in the epistles. Or one takes basically James's approach that believers in Christ are still obligated to the old covenant law. And I think this is a good time for me to go ahead and throw in, for me myself, I am a grace revolutionist. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, grace makes some sense. You know, that it just absolutely, and you say, oh, yeah, well, you like that because you don't have to do anything. Well, that's really what grace is about, isn't it, that Jesus paid it all. It is, and it's doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing and not for fear of punishment. That's it. Yeah, we're not trying to appease an angry God. A key point about the two covenants that I want to make, because you're, you're going to hear me talk a lot about the new covenant. I'm a new covenant. I believe God's a covenant God and, and a two covenant. All three gospel accounts that talked about the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. I, I, interestingly, I just discovered a few weeks ago, as long as I've been preaching, that John did not talk about the cup and the bread at the Last Supper. He talked about the washing the disciples' feet. But he did not include Jesus raising the cup. But let's go back to that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to look at it. And they clearly say that Jesus raised the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So now we got to decide, did he mean new, altogether new? Or was he saying, I'm adding some? He didn't say amended. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, oh, that's this right. This is yeah. the continued covenant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I thought, okay. A crucial point I've spent the last decade trying to get folks to understand is that this was a turning point in history. It is either a new covenant of grace, which I support, clearly, Paul supports, or it is still a covenant of laws. But, folks, it can't be both. And if after believing one must still keep the law, you know, after believing one still must keep the law, 
Why did Jesus die? Paul makes this argument over and over. If the law could make you right with God, and we're talking about justification here, the words justified and justification that they use, depending on what Bible, you, you know, what translation you're reading. Why do we need Christ? Many today still argue that it is a balance of grace and law, or it's faith and works. Uh, grace, faith, and works all combined. The greatest day of my personal life is when I realize that our covenant with, with God is not based on keeping laws, rules, and holy days. Not a covenant based on our obedience and performance, but one based on, as the Hebrew writer says, Jesus Christ's obedience and his performance. I've made it no secret. I'm a full supporter and believer of the new covenant of grace, the new covenant gospel of grace. If man could satisfy the requirement of the old covenant law, then Christ did not need to come. But man could not. And uh, what the old law should do is create a need for a Messiah. We ought to look at it and say, we can't do this. This can't be done, and we need a Messiah. But unfortunately, many of the Jews didn't. And this is this is where I like to throw in um, a lot of people. I've mentioned several times. My husband and I go through and read the Bible at night. That's one of our things we like to do. And I have started reading it under kind of a new light and just reading it for what it is, not for yeah. what anyone has told me it's supposed to say. And no preconceived exactly. Ideas, yeah. We've been going through the Book of Isaiah most recently and the first 20 verses in the book of Isaiah consist of God berating the Israelites because of their pious meetings sacrifices incense parades and ceremonies that he doesn't even want even then God was trying to tell them that they had made the law into something he never meant for it to be they had made it into salvation instead of looking for God to provide the salvation exactly if Christ did not satisfy the requirement of the old covenant law, then mankind is still doomed. Amen. The law required what? The bottom line of the law, it required separation and death for sin. And then what did the Roman, what did Paul write in Rome? All have, All have sinned. sinned. Okay. Absolutely. So Jesus satisfied that requirement. In fact, the requirement of the old covenant has been satisfied in full. And we now have a new covenant. This is my take. The only thing the two covenants have in common is they both require a mediator. If there's a covenant, the Bible says there has to be a mediator. And the mediator is what we're really talking about. And uh, they both have a high priest. The old covenant had a high priest, had numerous high priests, and they were human beings. The book of Hebrews covers that. Read the book of Hebrews. He talks about that. And Jesus is the high priest and the mediator of the new covenant. You can read that in Hebrews chapter 10, word for word. It's as clear as day. The self-righteous nature of man is to think that he himself has done something holy and good enough to earn salvation or in some way been good enough to be a candidate for salvation. I've seen people like that. Well, I was, you know, I was good, so God didn't have to do much with me. <laughs> or, or at least has in some way contributed to his being saved or must do good things to keep his salvation or maintain the right relationship with God. The early church struggled with the same issue. Now, the Jewish converts saw what Jesus did as an extension of the Old Covenant they had been under for the past 1,500 or so years, still based mainly on their ancestry, ceremonial law, and basically circumcision was a big one. Paul spent a lot of time contradicting. And I have to stand up here for a second, too, and say that it's hard for people to really comprehend what it was like to be Jewish, especially then. Judaism wasn't just we go to the temple no. on the Sabbath. It was your life. It was everything in your life revolved around these laws, these meetings, these festivals, sacrifices, ceremonies. 
Absolutely, absolutely right. And and this so it's it's a, it was a hard thing for anybody if they were a Jew and then they converted you to say, wait a minute, I'm going to abandon every facet of life I know. The interesting thing I'm going to go ahead and throw in here is that I I, I never really paid any attention to this. James and them were still going right onto the temple and worshiping right beside all of the unconverted Jews. You can read that in Acts chapter 21 when Paul goes down to worship in the temple and James talks him into shaving his head and taking a vow. They were going right in there and worshiping side by side. Because that's the way we've always done it. The Apostle Paul knew that the covenant that Jesus raised the cup to and declared was a new covenant did away with all the ceremony, customs, and requirements of the old covenant law, a concept that would not sit well, as we've said, with the Jewish community of that age. And with that, we will close out segment two and be right back with segment three. Welcome back. We're in segment three of our podcast, God Beyond the Bible, by Seekers and For Seekers. In the last segment, we approached the question, did Jesus come, die, and rise again to enter mankind into a totally new covenant age, or just to merely serve as an extension of the old covenant of ceremonies, customs, and laws? This is a question and a conflict of the early church, and it it still goes on today. And that's going to bring us into segment three. Today we're going to discuss, is by grace through faith and once saved, always saved, as Paul declares? Or is it faith by works and you may lose your salvation, as James declares? And Peter and Jude. Peter and Jude were pretty strong on the you could lose your salvation thing. I mean, you can't read their books. You can't read their writings without thinking these guys really thought you might be saved and then lost again. I think James was kind of maybe more of the opinion, well, you probably never were saved. Yes. I mean, I'm just being I'm just being <laughs> honest with you. That's that's where we get our attitudes from. That's where we get our approaches from. Okay. So we're talking about justification here, being right with God. That's what we're talking about. Now most of us have been taught that Paul and James were really saying the same thing in their letters. In fact, I looked at some other podcasts and look at some YouTube things and this is the common thing. They were saying exactly the same thing and and it's just all in how you read it. They weren't they weren't in any conflict here. Well, that kind of I didn't mean to cut you off, but that kind of goes back into what we've been talking about is if you look at the Bible as infallible and every piece has to fit together, this has been a great eye-opener for me to look at and say, yeah. okay, when I see that this was a human that wrote this with their own, their very own point of view, it almost makes the, ba- the Bible more valid to me, and it, I can take it and read it and actually understand. It does to me. As odd as this sounds, I was so glad that David's failure in sin was in the Bible. Yes. Yes. Because what if we, well, you know, you would think, well, this, this is, a, so we just cover all that up and spread over. I mean, I'm glad. And so I'm glad these guys were different guys with different approaches. And we still have these two approaches we're talking about today. They exist today. Yes. Is works. I mean, I have people, I tell them about the gospel of grace and Jesus. And they said, there's got to be more to it than that. You've got to do something. And like we talked earlier, doesn't make them any less no, safe, no, 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 but it no, does no, no. make it harder on them. I mean, you have a lot more to answer We're for. We're going to talk about that in this segment. Why do we want to make it harder than it has to be? Yes. And I had a really dead faith for years, and I'm going to be honest, because trying to balance you know, the law and grace and trying to appease God is impossible to do. You can't ever do anything and, and it, good it was enough. Meant, it was meant to be impossible. 
Absolutely for right. man to be able to do. Yeah. We had to have someone do it for us. And that was God's plan all along. Uh, so most of us have been taught they're saying the basically the same thing. But let's put their statements in their letters side by side. And that's something f- most folks are not comfortable doing. But And let's see if they sound like they're saying the same thing. We're going to start with Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 2, 16 through 21. This is how it goes. Yet we know that a person is justified or made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be justified or made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the, abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Now listen to this statement. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, Paul continues. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, justifies, then there was no need for Christ to die. Remember, that's what we've been talking about. And he said almost the same thing in Romans 3, 20 through 28. And then down in Ephesians, we all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, for it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's abbreviated version of what he said. All of these and many other passages are always consistent with the faith-only salvation that Paul shared with his audiences. Now the rebuttal. Let's talk about the law. Remember, Paul said, I abandoned the law. This is James speaking on abandoning the law. James 1, 25. If you look carefully into the perfect Torah of liberty, he's saying law of liberty, that's what he said, but he used the word Torah. James or Paul used the same word, Torah. If you look carefully into the perfect law of liberty that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, that's conflict, is it not? It is. I mean, clearly. if you were a person that was saved by Paul's teaching that God has done it all and great and the law doesn't, and someone comes up and says, now, let me tell you how this works, and told you, well, you'd be in conflict, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Let's talk about what James said concerning works. We're going to look at James 2.14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith alone save him? He drops down verse 17. Even so, faith, if it does not have works, is or is not accompanied by works, is dead by itself or being alone. Verse 18, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. works. Then he says something odd here, and it just almost seems an odd place, but we're going to explain it. In verse 21 of James 2, he said, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, that's made right. That's where we get the word. Was our Abraham father Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, why did James bring Abraham into the faith alone or faith works argument? Well, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.8 about Abraham. He said in the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him righteous or justified because of his faith. Then he took the argument further in Romans 4, 1 through 5. Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. I'm reading from the Bible now. 
This is Paul writing to Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being justified or made right with God? If his works, his good deeds, had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He goes on and says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. Verse 5, but people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now, I think it's apparent to any logical thinking person that Paul and James were on two very different sides when it came to whether or not justification or salvation was an absolute free gift of God, that we could not do anything to earn it or deserve it, nor was there anything needed to be done to maintain it. Or, in James' view, that it is not merely by faith and believing, but a combination of faith and works that makes us right with God. The key to understanding the differences may lie in the people and the location that James was ministering to. James was over the church in Jerusalem, made up primarily of Jewish converts. As I said earlier, he still went to the synagogue right along beside the Jews. They still worshipped in the synagogue. Uh, James possibly felt compelled to incorporate parts of the Old Covenant with the New Covenant to satisfy his audience. Remember, the Jews were a people of great pride over their ancestry. They were accustomed to a system of worship that was rigid and demanding. In short, now listen to me, they were accustomed to being expected to appease an angry God who wasn't very easily pleased. And I think it's important to stop right here and explain the reason that it was that they felt God was this way. They were influenced by the other countries and the other people they were around. They were influenced by 400 years of bondage in Egypt exactly. where all of the Egyptian gods were angry. And if your crops didn't grow, you didn't give the right offering. You didn't make the right sacrifice. If your children, if you didn't have children, you were barren. You didn't sacrifice to the right God. And the, and so remember, they carried this. They tried. They wanted to as hard as Moses and everybody tried to get them to see differently. Well, tradition is a hard thing to. It is, you know. And when you are trying to, I'm going to throw this in there. When you are trying to appease a god by giving them more sacrifices, it's never enough. You have to a little more next time, a little more to try and appease. And every time something goes wrong, it doubles. What, what did, you've what did you? Does done. anyone it's remember the? Enough. Does anyone? I didn't mean to talk over. Did anyone remember the words that Jesus said to the rich young ruler that came to him and said, "What must I do to be saved?" He said, you need to do this law and that law, and he named some laws there. And, and then he said, oh, there's one thing thou lackest. See, that supports what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be one. It's never going to be enough. Right. We're never going to be good enough. And you're never going to be as good as that guy over there. You're not going to be as good at it as this guy. So as long as I'm a little better than you, I'm better, right? Yes. All this fits into what we're trying to accomplish here at God Beyond the Bible. These folks who wrote the various letters of the New Testament were real people. James was a real guy. Yes. Peter was a real guy. Jude was a real guy. Paul was a real guy. And because they were inspired, did not remove them from who they really were. Their faith and teaching, like our own today, was greatly influenced by how they approached life and faith. In fact, we're all influenced by how we were brought up. We have that influence, and it's hard to it's hard to put that influence off, or it's hard for us to change, or you know, have a just have a complete change of the way we think. And uh, that's called a paradigm shift, isn't it? Yes. Once Paul, whom I have made no secret about my agreement with his approach, knew that trying to make the new covenant an extension of the old covenant would only bring about confusion and diminish diminish what Christ came to accomplish, which is setting the sin, uh, settling the sin debt once and for all, 
and reconciling man to God with a completely new system based on personal faith and personal believing. We must consider that James might feel compelled by his personal religious roots, the people he was leading, to incorporate many of the old customs and laws into the mix, which, to be honest, may have gave some satisfaction to his Jewish audience who supported such a view, but it clouded the waters forever when it came to sorting out what God really wants from us. Is that not a true statement? It is, and I think that's why when you read the Bible, you have to ask the right questions. You have to ask yourself, who were these people? It's the Where were they living? And what who who, they? who are they? Who are these people? Yes. What are they thinking? We're getting the wrap-up sign. The sad truth is, they were all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. No, that's not a sad truth. I shouldn't write that. That's not a sad truth. The great truth is, they're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. One must then ask the question, why did the leaders of the church at Jerusalem insist on making it so difficult to be right with God? One could legitimately ask the same question of believers today of various denominations. I mean, some denominations make it really yes, they do. tough to be a Christian. So why do you think some people insist on making it uh, making being right with God and good standing with Him and enjoying His gracious favor harder than it has to be. The, qu the question we must really answer for ourselves is the same question that conflicted James and Paul. Did Jesus come to do away with the old system and the old covenant and establish a new covenant, a new deal that took the responsibility of being right with God, listen to this, out of the control of man and his religious institutions and placed it with the individual, making it a one-on-one -on -one personal walk? You, listener, must take responsibility for your personal walk with God, our Creator. You decide. You're going to have to decide which gospel approach you're going to take. Is it going to be Jesus paid it all, or I've got to do something in the meantime to maintain this, or it might be taken away from me? I can't decide for you. You must decide. But we're different people, all from different approaches, all from different walks of life, different influences on our religious beliefs. And we have to come to where we decide who God really is in all of this. But all I can say is in the meantime, keep on seeking. Join us the next time on God Beyond the Bible, and we're going to be talking about near-death experiences. We're going to spend a couple of episodes, something a little lighter and something a little farther out. We're going to be talking about the near-death experience. Till next time. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.